Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Oh, the music is so good. I'm going to say this again in the teaching part, but I want to say it now while it's fresh in your heart and mind. You may find that later today or through this week, one of the songs, or maybe at different times more than one of the songs that you just heard, will come back to your mind, will just like spring into your heart. You'll find inside yourself you're kind of hearing them or singing them. When you have those moments, I hope you'll pay attention to them because I think the Spirit's wanting to do something with you in that moment. So those songs that Jared and Rachel just sang, be looking out for them in your own mind over the coming week. And if they pop up, press into that because the Spirit wants to do something. All right, I'll try not to repeat myself too much when I get into the teaching, but that's one of the points for today, actually. Uh, Hi, I'm Mike Rayburn. I'm the lead pastor here at Gainesville Vineyard. Thank you again for tuning into our broadcast. We're so glad to have you with us in this virtual way. I've got a handful of announcements to make, and then I'll get into the... uh, rest of the teaching time, which I've already started. Strangely enough, I don't usually do that. Um, First announcement is uh, gather some communion elements. We're going to have communion together at the end of the service. We'll consecrate that together as the body and blood of Jesus, as we always do, and we invite you to participate in that. I have got a gluten-free donut because Aldi is great and my wife loves me. She bought those for me a long time ago. They've been in the freezer. I just found them. I was so happy. And today, special, I've got Earl Grey tea. I'm feeling very, uh, very Captain Picardish this morning. So we're going to have some Earl Grey tea for me. But whatever you've got at hand to eat or drink, go ahead and pull that together. And we'll take that together as the body and blood of Jesus, which it will be when we take it at the end of service. Uh, Next announcement, um, what you're seeing here is how we're doing service at Gainesville Vineyard. We're going to be live streaming only until further notice. Uh, We're not putting an end date on it. We had been making month-to-month decisions, but this is going to be a long-term thing, and so we're uh, we're going with what is happening. We want to participate in everyone being safe and staying safe, and so this is how we can best contribute to that by not gathering our building is beautiful and we love it, but it also doesn't have a lot of uh, extra space. When we gather together, we're in close quarters as we like to be, and we sing loudly as we like to do, and we can't do any of that safely uh, because of coronavirus. So we will be live streaming only um, until this is over, whatever that means. We don't know what that means or when that will be, but that's what we're going to do. So thanks for tuning in. This is how we're going to keep doing it. Um, until further notice. Because of that, we also have moved our home groups to what we're calling stay home groups. They meet over Zoom weekly. We have three of them that meet. And if you would like more information about that, you can contact the leaders of those groups. Uh, Bill and Leah Gallione lead a group. Brent and Valerie Henderson lead a group. And Janet Wise leads a group. And if you're part of our church family, you know who those folks are and probably how to get in touch with them, at least on the private Facebook group, if nothing else. And I encourage you to reach out to them and, and participate in their groups as you're able to. If you're not part of our church before this and you've kind of connected with us through this, which some of you have, and you want to participate in one of those, send me an email and I'll put you in touch with one of those groups and you can participate with them. Uh, 
that'd be great. I think you should do that. And I'll say more about that in the teaching today as well, but I'll save that uh, until we get there. Um, next announcement, our grocery giveaways are still happening every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I need eight volunteers to gather uh, to help me give out groceries to 100 families. Uh, we're, getting, we're getting like six pallets of groceries each week from the food bank. Uh, it's coming to us totally for free. We just have to do the work of making that into um, uh, giveable portions that we can give to 100 families, which requires some work, and then handing it out. Uh, the folks line up in, the, in their cars in the field, and we pull them through and load them up. It's very safe. Everyone wears masks. It's Tuesday from 9 to about noon. Uh, if you can come for all or part of that, that would be great. We had a couple of volunteers, I won't name names, but you know who you are, who showed up on the second half uh, this past week, and they were such a breath of fresh air because we were a little short-handed. And if they hadn't come in, I, I, well, we would have gotten through it, but it would have been harder. So if you can come for the second half, you will be a hero. <laughs> we'll be very grateful to you. If you can come for the first half, that's when the, most of the work has to happen in terms of bagging stuff up and, and sorting through uh, what we get from the food bank. If you can come all the time, then um, I won't hug you because that's not social distancing, but I will, um, I don't know. I was going to say I love you, but I love you anyway, so we will appreciate your volunteering if you can come out for that. So that's Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, every week that we're doing that. Uh, and that's a real blessing to the folks in our neighborhood that we're serving. So come out and join us for that if you're able to. Next, our backpack drive is going really well. You guys have contributed $1,600 so far to raise money to outfit our kids in our literacy program with what they need to go back to school this year. We're really grateful for that. We need to raise another $400 to outfit our kids. And I want to up the challenge a little bit here. Um, for those of you who have been part of our church for many years, you know that what we usually do in August is put out a box and gather school supplies to go to Partnership for Strong Families, the organization in our area that serves foster kids and make sure that they have what they need for schools and they do lots of other good stuff as well. We do Wish Upon a Star with them in December, which we'll do at Christmas time. But every year we raise school supplies for them to send them back to school fully supplied. I don't want to drop that ball just because we're taking care of our kids in our literacy program. We need to take care of our kids first because they're our kids but we can also still participate in what Partnership for Strong Families is doing. They've told me they need $25 per child to outfit their kids for back to school. So I'd like for us to raise money for them as well. So anything over the $2,000 that we raise will go to Partnership for Strong Families to supply those kids with what they need for school as well. It'd be great if we could do a number of kids with that. I don't know how many kids we served last year because we just put all the supplies in a box. They couldn't tell me either. But man, it'd be fantastic if we could supply 10 or 25 kids uh, with PSF with what they need for school. So keep contributing to that. We're going to outfit our kids for school, and then we're also going to do everything we can to help Partnership for Strong Families with the foster kids in our area have what they need to go back to school. So keep up the good work. You guys are doing fantastic. Next, as I announced last week, the Amazing Give is coming up August 19th and 20th. That's an opportunity for the Gainesville area to raise money for the different organizations that rely on funding from the community to do their work. 
You're going to see a lot of folks sharing different things. You're going to see me sharing several different things. Grace Marketplace is raising money. Partnership for Strong Families is raising money. Family Promise is raising money. And we've been invited to participate in that as well as Gainesville Vineyard and the Bridge Community Center. And what we're going to be raising money for is for our community garden that we want to start on our property. I don't know exactly when we're going to start that. I don't know exactly what it will look like. I don't have any details, but what I do have is a number of you that are really excited about it and want to see it happen and have a lot of great ideas about how that should go. So that's really encouraging that we have folks who want to do that. So when you see that come around on my feed, just know that's what that's about. That's more of a chance for the community to help us uh, do the work that we're doing that's community facing. I would also encourage you to share that on social media so your friends can donate to that as well. And so all of that money that's donated will go to the community garden when that gets started, whatever it exactly it is that that looks like. Uh, so my last announcement is specifically about how to give. Uh, there are three ways you can contribute to us and all the things that we're doing. Uh, you can text the number coming across the screen. You would text give for regular giving. You would text tutoring if you want to donate to the backpack program. You can also go to our website, gainesvillevineyard.org, and click on the Give button in the upper right-hand corner, and you'll have a pull-down menu where you can select different uh, targets for your giving, whether it's tithes and offering, whether it's tutoring, which again would be the backpack program, or what have you. You can also mail a check to the P.O. box that's coming across the screen, and you can put in the memo line tutoring if you want to contribute to the backpack program that way. If you don't put anything in there, it just goes into general giving, and that'll be fine as well. So I appreciate everyone's faithfulness in contributing to us. Um, we're continuing to do the work that we're doing. We're still giving out food. Uh, we're still tutoring kids. We're gonna start a community garden. We're still paying for our mortgage and our salaries and all that. And it's because you continue to be faithful in your giving. And we really appreciate that. So thank you so much for all of that. And hopefully it's come across the screen now and I can move on. <laughs> I'm gonna take a sip of tea just in case it needs another minute. All right, let's move into the teaching today. We're in John chapter 4, as we have been for a while, and maybe for a while longer. I don't exactly know yet. But this is one of the messages, again, that's been on my heart since the beginning. We've been in this for, this is our 10th uh, teaching out of John chapter 4, where we've been looking at this encounter that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman that we're calling Sam. And we've been thinking about vineyard values and vineyard life and practice as this specific expression of Christianity that we are in the vineyard. And as we did that, there were a handful of ones that were just obvious. Like we talked about last week, the meat is in the street, goes really well with Jesus saying, I have food that you have no idea about. That was a real easy pairing. Uh, everyone gets to play was a real easy pairing because Sam goes and is the first evangelist of the gospel to her town, the Samaritan woman. Sorry, I had something in my throat. This Samaritan woman who goes and shares the gospel with her village and they come uh, to faith in Jesus through her is the first and maybe best example of everyone gets to play that we've ever had. This is another one that just is a real easy pairing and the vineyard value that we find different words for, uh, I think we find the best words for in this, in this bit of the story right here. And it pertains to worship, which is why I said that thing a minute ago about paying attention to when the songs that Jared and Rachel led us in come back to your heart through the week, like really give focus to that. Worship, 
music, singing has always been a critical part of vineyard life. Now, let me say up front that when I say worship, that doesn't necessarily always mean music or singing. Uh, we're going to talk today about how it means basically the whole way we conduct service, uh, what sometimes is called the liturgy, which is like the order of service or how we go about our gatherings. And this is a reflection of how we go about a digital gathering, how we order things this way. And if you've been watching these for a while, you know there's a real rhythm. Like I come on, I say, hey, I pray, I send it to Jared and Rachel, they lead us in some songs, they pray. Uh, and they send it back to me, I make announcements, I do a teaching, we have communion, and then it's over. We kind of do the same thing every week. There are reasons for that. Uh, there's also just habituation in that. That's all the liturgy. That's the liturgy that we follow. That's part and parcel with worship. You can say that worship is found in how you go about your liturgy. Um, there are lots of issues involved in that that I'm not going to get into today. But Jesus and Sam touch on this in the conversation that they have and I want us to pay attention to that bit of the conversation today okay and so some of it is singing and we'll talk about that uh, here in a minute and some of it is how we go about everything we do when we gather together whether that's in person or nowadays whether that's digitally so again we're in John chapter 4 and I'm going to start with verse 19 Sam says sir I see that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you people say that Jerusalem is the place where one should worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, ma'am, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, and it is now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For the Father looks for such worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, who is called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all. Jesus said to her, I am he talking to you. So that's our passage for today. The Father wants worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So let's talk for a minute about the Samaritans and the kind of worship that they engaged in, what Sam is talking about when she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you folks say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Um, so will give you a thumbnail sketch about the Samaritans and their worship. First of all, the mountain she's talking about is Mount Gerizim, which was the holy mountain for the Samaritan and, and is the holy mountain for the Samaritan people. There are still Samaritan people uh, living there on the West Bank to this day, and they still worship on Mount Gerizim to this day. But to give you a little history, a little context, um, before the exile period, if you look back in the Hebrew Bible, uh, Mount Gerizim is the first place that Abraham stopped uh, when he got to Canaan. So he leaves Ur because uh, God tells him to leave Ur of the of the Chaldeans. And he comes to Canaan and the first spot he stops in is Mount Gerizim. It's in Genesis chapter 12. You can look it up. And then in Deuteronomy 11, when the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land, Moses tells them, look, when you, when you go in, one of the first things I want you to do is I want you to go to the valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And, and half of you are going to go up on Mount Gerizim and you're going to pronounce blessings on the land. And half of you are going to go up on Mount Ebal and you're going to pronounce curses on the land. 
Mount Gerizim is the place of blessing, and Mount Ebal is the place of cursing. And so from early times, from the, from the earliest period when the Israelites settled the land of Canaan, Mount Gerizim was seen as a holy place, a place of worship. Um, Samaritan history says that it was the place of worship until Eli uh, falsely tried to uh, take control of the high priesthood and moved it to Shechem. And, and of course, the Hebrew Bible tells us that, that Eli was, you know, kind of a dicey character. Um, and and it does tell us that worship was in Shiloh, which is near by to Mount Gerizim, although not exactly in the same place, uh, until it was moved to Jerusalem. And that move, of course, coincided with the move of uh the seat of power for the Davidic kingdom to Jerusalem under David and under Solomon. So um, even then, though, worship continued among the northern tribes out Mount Gerizim. Um, it never really stopped from the time they entered the land and pronounced blessings from Mount Gerizim um, to this very day, today, uh, people who were of Jewish descent, Israeli descent, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have worshiped on that mountain and continue to do so. Specifically, when it came to the period of exile, uh, the, the northern part of the Israeli kingdom was exiled by the Assyrians, specifically by Sargon the Great. And when Sargon uh, invaded and conquered northern Israel, you know we're told that he took the children of Israel in the northern part of the kingdom away. Um, in reality, he took about a third of them away, as best we can tell, there were about 60,000 people living, uh, at least wealthy people, people that had status in that area at the time. And Sargon tells us he took about 20,000 people into captivity when he conquered uh, the northern part of Israel. He also brought in some people from outside. Part of what the Assyrians did was they recolonized people. They moved folks around. So he did bring some folks from the outside uh, to live in the area as well. So from the time that the Assyrians conquered northern Israel, you had some Israelites living there, uh, the Samaritans who were worshiping on Mount Gerizim, and you had some folks from other places who were living there as well or brought to live in. Uh, what you may not know is that some Samaritans also returned after the exile, uh, Cyrus and the Persians, you know, sent, as we know from the Hebrew Bible, uh, folks back to live in the southern part of the kingdom in Jerusalem, which um, the Babylonians had conquered. They also sent folks back um, to live in the northern part. Some of the Samaritans came back from exile uh, as well. It's unclear how much intermarriage took place uh, in between or going forward. We don't know exactly what happened to the people that, that Sargon colonized into the Northern Kingdom. Some of them may have uh, married into and become part of the Samaritan folks. Some of them may have moved on. We don't really know. Uh, but what we do know is that intermarriage was not forbidden uh, in, in the law, in the books of Moses. Folks could uh, be brought into the covenant. So the post-exile Samaritans, what we do know specifically, is that they were strict followers of Torah, of the law. The five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, they read. Um, their version is, is very close to the version um, that Jewish folks read and that you will find in our Bibles. There are some small differences. Um, they insert Mount Gerizim in a couple of places. They think that's where Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, not Mount Moriah. But other than some smaller changes like that, they have pretty much the exact same five books of Moses that uh, their Jewish uh, cousins have and that we as Christians have. And they follow it strictly. 
Um, their understanding is that when Israelites moved into Canaan land, they set up worship on Mount Gerizim, and the high priests, uh, the descendants of, of Aaron and of Phinehas, his grandson, set up worship there and kept worshiping there. We can't verify that, uh, but their worship practices, their services, their sacrifices, their liturgies, they take from the Pentateuch. And those things they take from the Pentateuch are identical to what we would read in that, identical to what Jews in, in Jerusalem would have practiced as well. In addition, um, when they came back from exile, uh, you'll find this, some of this in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Sambalot was their governor under the Persians, under Cyrus. And with permission from the Persians, Sambalot built them a temple on Mount Gerizim. They also offered to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, although the folks down there said, no, thank you, we don't want your help. But they built their own temple where they had been worshiping uh, prior to that on their own for many years. And they had their own temple for their own worship, specifically to Yahweh on Mount Gerizim. And this is like 5th, 6th century BC. Uh, that existed and was used until the Jewish uh, king, John Hecrinus, uh, destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim in 128 BC. He raised that to the ground. Um, but for our story, what you need to know is that when Sam and Jesus are talking by the well, they, they can see the ruins of that temple, like right up there on the mountain, plain sight from where they were standing, they would have seen those ruins. And so when she says our fathers worshiped on Mount Gerizim, she means like right over there, where if you look with your eyes, you can see. Um, and at that temple, and, and again, to this day, Samaritans celebrated all the festivals that we read about in the five books of Moses, uh, the, the Passover, unleavened bread, tabernacles, all of it. They follow Torah uh, as strictly as they possibly can, and they have for centuries, and they still do. What they don't do, and this is interesting, uh, what they don't do is they don't read the prophets, and they don't read the book of Psalms. So I think those things help us put this scene in context. Sam and Jesus are talking by the well under the shadow of the ruins of the temple on Mount Gerizim. Uh, Sam is a Samaritan woman, which means she follows the books of Moses uh, strictly, but she does not follow the prophets. She does not follow the book of Psalms. Those are not part of her understanding of who Yahweh is or her understanding of how it is to practice life and worship uh, before Yahweh. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't reject Sam, as we've talked about several times. He doesn't reject Samaritan worship either. Um, he just says, look, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. And what he specifically means by that is you're not reading the prophets. You're not reading Psalms. Uh, there, there's important information about who Yahweh is in the prophets and in Psalms that you don't have access to because you're not reading that. You're not, that's not part of your understanding. Uh, there are important checks on Torah that you find in the prophets and that you find in Psalms. And if you don't have to look any further than Isaiah chapter 1 to see what I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter 1, and I've preached this many times, you've heard this before. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 says, I hate your festivals. I hate your feasts. Who told you to make all these sacrifices? I hate your sacrifices. And if you're reading the Bible straight through, your reaction should probably be, well, I think you did. 
God, I mean, back here in, in the books of Moses, didn't you say we should do that? And so any good reader of scripture is going to read uh, what's given to us in Torah in light of what the prophets say. And so Isaiah puts a good, strong check on strict adherence to the books of Moses. Uh, the Samaritans weren't reading those. Also, the Psalms. The Psalms are critical. Uh, the, the heart of the Hebrew Bible is the book of Psalms. And that's where we learn that Yahweh is a personal God, a loving God, a long-suffering God. That's where we learn that God is Father, that God is Papa in the Psalms. Jesus quotes Psalms more than any other part of the Hebrew Bible. It's also in the prophets and in Psalms that we learn that, that Papa has a passion for justice, um, that, that justice really matters to Yahweh. You don't get that as clearly in Torah, although it is there if you look carefully. You really need the prophets to help you understand that. Um, the other thing you don't get is you don't get an understanding that the Messiah is a suffering servant. You get that in Isaiah. You don't get that in Torah. And, and even though that's the case, Sam still catches on that Jesus is the Messiah or might be the Messiah, as we've talked about before. So even though she doesn't have full access to the prophets, or any access, she's not reading the prophets, uh, she's not been trained to understand the Psalms, they're not singing those songs when they go to worship, um, still there's enough there, even in the five books of Moses, and what she's heard to know that Messiah is coming, and she catches on to what Jesus is saying, uh, even before he reveals himself to her. That's really, I think, fascinating that Sam does recognize uh, that him being Messiah is congruent with her own uh, understanding, which is limited to the five books of Moses. So um, again, I've said this before, what amazed Sam was that Jesus so easily and readily and fully communicated to her that God loved her, that she was seen, that she was known, that she was loved, that she was accepted. Jesus did all this just by having a chat with her over a pitcher of well water. Um, and, and this is the way that we're invited into, where, where our daily lives communicate to everyone around us that they are seen, that they are known, that they are accepted, that they are loved. Uh, loved by us, loved by God, accepted and seen by us, accepted and seen by God, um, by the God who's enabled us to live in this way. And it's important that we understand that the part of a, a, an integral part of how we live in that way where others uh, come to know that they're seen and known and accepted and loved is we 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 live out worship it's in worship that we become the people who live this way and that's what i want to talk about today is is this what jesus says here like look you know, I know you worship here on Mount Gerizim in your way that's limited to the five books of Moses. And I know that you're comparing that to, to us, Jewish people, who worship in Jerusalem at our temple and, and following not only the Torah, but also the prophets and the Psalms. And, and what I need you to know, what Jesus says to Sam, what I need you to know is that that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you worship here and we worship there. It doesn't matter that your liturgy is this and our liturgy is that. What matters is that you worship Papa and you worship Papa in spirit and in truth. That's what matters. God is spirit and he's looking for worshipers 
who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when people become people who worship Papa in spirit and truth, then those are the same people. That's how we become the people who communicate to everyone else that they are seen and known and accepted and loved. These go together intrinsically. So that's what I have to say about that bit of scripture that I just read to you. Now, let me relate that to us. And what I feel like I need to focus on this morning is that the heart and the key to worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth, that has been a hallmark of the Vineyard Movement and of our church, is that we spend time in God's presence. We we spend an unusual amount of time in God's presence. We're patient to sit and be in God's presence. And I think that's the key to worship that I really want us to hone in on uh, today. Becoming the people who show acceptance and love to others. Becoming the worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. I think is first and foremost becoming people who encounter the growth, the personal and the spiritual growth that we need and that we desire that comes through just being in God's presence, just sitting in God's presence. And that's kind of hard sometimes. So Samaritanism has its own worship practices, its own liturgical practices. Judaism has its own uh, worship in liturgical practices, and Christians do as well. Um, and ours are as varied and complicated and interrelated and connected as theirs are. Uh, some Christians are more or less strict in their liturgy. Um, sometimes our worship draws from the very streams of the traditions that we've come from, um, our ancestry. Um, we focus on different parts of scripture and things like that. And it's also developed in and connected to specific culture in lots of ways. Um, and I think a lot of times we just need to hear Jesus saying to us what he says to Sam, look, that doesn't matter. This do, this verse is that it, it doesn't matter like you think it matters. Um, you, you, you know, don't get caught up in this versus that style, this versus that specific thing. It's are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are you using this practice to connect to God? Is this bringing you to into the presence of Papa? Is this opening you up to the move of the Spirit in your heart and in your life? So putting this in our own context, before the vineyard existed, uh, the vineyard starts in the mid to late 70s, um, church services and, and liturgies and orders of service were, were pretty formal uh, at least here in the United States, for the most part, uh, music took basically um, two or three forms. There was congregational singing, but it was all hymns. Uh, there were no worship courses; those didn't exist uh, before then. Um, uh, you might have choir songs, and those are often very formal, especially in white churches. Those would be very disconnected from popular music outside of church. You might have special singing where someone gets up and sings a solo, um, but both choir singing and solo singing, uh, everyone else just sat and listened to, and, and you can get a blessing from that, sure, as well. And then in terms of uh, congregational participation beyond singing, um, any speaking the congregation did was usually call and response readings, um, uh, testimony time in some churches. Some churches you could uh, voice prayer requests out loud. Um, 
but ministry was typically done by ministers, by pastors and deacons. If somebody needed to be prayed for at the end of service at an altar call or something, it wasn't usually just anyone and everyone who could do that. And then this interesting thing happened. Uh, the Jesus People Movement emerged, and it emerged outside of any formal church structure at all. Um, these were just hippies who initially just had their own individual stories of, of really just being grabbed by the Holy Spirit. And you can read some of these accounts where folks just had God just grab them and like transform their lives uh, radically and, and in a moment. And then those folks who didn't have any church connection, uh, some of them were very musical, and they just started uh, writing and singing songs about Jesus and about this new experience they were having in the style that they were used to, which was, you know, like folk and, and early rock kind of sound. So people like Larry Norman and Love Song and Second Chapter of Acts and Phil Keggy and Randy Stonehill, folks like that just started putting out music and lots of other folks were singing those songs or singing their own songs with their guitars or what have you. Um, they were doing group Bible readings and study where they would just sit together and, and read long passages of scripture and then talk about them um, with each other. There was a lot of street evangelism uh, being engaged in where everyone would just go out and share this, this love of God that they had experienced. And there was also lots of care for people in need these early stories of the Jesus People Movement, you see repeatedly where they're uh, they're they're buying clothes, they're buying food, uh, they're 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 starting uh, ho uh, hospitality houses for folks to visit uh, and stay in. So there, there's a lot of care for those in need. Uh, there's a lot of participation. There's not a lot of sitting around and listening to other people talk and sing. There's just a lot of participation. And and Vineyard grew up out of that. Um, Vineyard was one of the first times when these Jesus people started having church services of their own and organizing into something that looked more traditional. And when they did that, they kept singing their simple love songs to Jesus. Um, I can, I, I'm going to put this up on the Facebook private group. I've got a, 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 a Sunday evening worship service uh, from the early days of the Anaheim Vineyard. It's 47 minutes long. And it's, it's just a one after the other, really simple songs. And you can hear on the recording, the, the, the people in the auditorium, what was the gymnasium they were meeting in, are louder than the singer singing. You can barely hear the leader singing for all the people singing. And the instrumentation is very um, minimal and light, and there's no guitar solos, and I promise you there was no light show or anything like that. It's very simple. It's very direct. It's very participatory. And when they started having these more uh, formal services for them, they were still teaching through the Bible. That's something like we're doing now is a, is a hallmark of how Vineyard has always done uh, our worship services. We just take a book of the Bible and work our way through it and see what the Spirit has for us in it, um, as opposed to other ways of doing that. And then always, um, or I say always, when we're doing things um, um, at our best, there's a lot of time and space given to praying for each other and, and to waiting in the Spirit. I, I don't say waiting on the Spirit because the Spirit's always right here, ready to do whatever the Spirit wants to do. But a lot of times the Spirit has to wait on us to be ready and, and, to, and to feel safe to, to open up and to let the Spirit do the work that the Spirit does. 
Um, and so, so Wimber has this thing. I want to read this to you. This was this is from 1994, right in the middle of all of the uh, things that were going on with the Toronto blessing. Um, and so he says. Um, it's been their experience in Toronto to date that many people don't receive readily and need to be encouraged to give a protracted period of time over to seeking of the Lord. This is consistent with our experience over the years as well. I would encourage the continuing prayer for the individual in that I do believe there is benefit, at least in some cases, for protracted periods of prayer over people that the Spirit of God is resting on. Pray as the Holy Spirit leads you so that they will get the best benefit. This is what we do when we're doing our best. We take our time, um, protracted periods of prayer, where we just wait on folks to be ready for what the Spirit has for them, where we just sit in the presence of the Lord, where, where maybe there's a worship team up there singing songs quietly, or maybe folks are milling about and drinking coffee and chatting, but where we're just waiting to see what the Lord's going to do. And, you know, as Tom Petty has told us, the waiting is the hardest part. And so there's there's been, at least in my experience in the vineyard over the years, you know, there's always this pull to, like, make things shorter uh, and less interactive and less personal and, and less waiting. And it's like we always have to push back and, and carve out that extra time uh, for folks to share and for us to wait uh, on the Lord, wait on the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit's going to do. I just said it wrong again, to wait for us to be ready for what the Spirit's going to do. And so I've only ever led services in the vineyard. I, I can't speak uh, much to how the Samaritans or Baptists or Methodists or, or even Pentecostals worship. But I know for us that this is how we worship. We sing simple songs, uh, simple love songs to Jesus. We, we teach a passage of the Bible, and then we wait and see uh, what the Spirit's going to do and wait for people to be ready for how the Spirit wants to move. And for us, that's what it looks like to worship in spirit and in truth. And and as I say that, I mean, you know, I'm mindful that worshiping Papa in spirit and in truth can take a variety of forms. I'm not saying this is the way or the only way. This is how we do it. This is how we've done it. And, and I will also say that various forms can facilitate uh, worshiping in spirit and truth, and those same forms uh, can become perfunctory and can quench the move of the spirit. We can go through the motions at just about anything. You, you think of the most intimate, passionate moments of life, and you can make that into going through the motions um, if you if you choose to do that. Um, we can make anything mundane. We can make anything perfunctory, but that's not what it means. Um, to do something in spirit and in truth. And so what we're called to do is to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's why when we gathered in person, I was always pushing us to wait, uh, to pause, uh, for you to speak up and say something, to pass the mic around, to see what the spirit would say through you, through the body, to see who needed what ministry, to see how we could come alongside whatever it was that the Father wanted to do, on that given day and that given time for whoever needed it, uh, whoever was ready to receive it. And that's always, I think, what it is going to mean for us to worship in spirit and truth when we're gathered in person. But now we're in this weird space where we're not in person together. So how do we worship in spirit and in truth now? How do we 
uh, have protracted periods of prayer during a pandemic. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, and this is really a concern that I have for us. Now, I'll say a couple things. One, I've been really encouraged because some of you have reached out to me. Many of you have reached out to me and told me that these broadcasts have touched you uh, in, in, in deep ways. Some of you have like texted me like I'm crying. The song has made me cry. Even something I've said has made you cry, hopefully in a good way, <laughs> most of the time. Um, and, and again, this is a way that can facilitate what the Spirit's trying to do in your life. Uh, worshiping in spirit and in truth can happen over this approach that we're taking right now that we have to take because of coronavirus. Um, but I'm also concerned because it's, as I can attest to personally, it is so easy to veg out in front of a screen, right? Um, and we're, we're in front of screens so much now. We all have screen fatigue that it can be so easy to just like, wait a minute, what was happening? I lost the, I lost the thread there. Um, it's also hard to imagine how we wait. Uh, you know, and as I said a minute ago, Vineyard in general has a hard time holding on to that waiting. It was always, you know, a constant fight to make sure that we're being as patient as we need to be. We're waiting as much as we need to be. And that's when we're gathered together. Um, and it's not like it has to be a set amount of time uh, or the same amount of time each, each week. It's, you know, blocking off and, and routinizing spirit time. That That's weird and, and maybe self-contradictory. Um, but specifically this delivery mode where I'm broadcasting to you, it's not at all suited to having me set aside and protect time and space for you. I mean, I feel like that's part of my job when we're meeting in person is to protect the time and the space where the spirit wants to move. And so there have been a lot of weeks, and those of you that have worshipped with us in person uh, have, have seen this, where I don't exactly know what the Spirit's up to or, or what's going to happen, but I feel just compelled to wait. And there have been so many times where I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I know you're telling me to not end or, or move on, so I'm going to wait right here. And and then so many times something wonderful has happened for someone or, 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 or more than one person when we've done that. I can't do that now. I can't just like sit here for for an extended period of time and not say anything or do anything. It's not really uh, set up for that uh, in this mode that we're having. But you still need that time. You still need the time to sit in the presence of God. I can't carve out that time for you. I can't protect that space for you. But you still need it. And you're fully capable of carving it out and protecting it for yourself. As I've told you before, and I'm going to say it again here in a minute, your consecration powers are just as effective as mine. That applies to communion, which we're going to take in a moment. It also applies to your time and your space for prayer. Uh, you can make sacred time for yourself. You can set aside time and consecrate it like, I am giving this time to waiting I've been giving this time to worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I encourage you to do that because I can't do that for you right now. And it really worries me that I can't, but I just can't. So you're going to have to do that for yourself. Um, and, and I want to repeat what I said right after worship. You may find yourself uh, today or this week with, with one of the songs that Rachel and Jared led us in uh, playing back over in your head. That's happened to me a number of times. It's almost every week 
one of the songs gets stuck in my head and sometimes it happens right away sometimes it happens a day later or two days later and sometimes it's one and then later on the week it's another one and and i've done this and it's gone really well for me and so i'm encouraging you to do it as well i want you to pay attention if one of those songs that they sang just now comes back into your mind into your heart sometime this week i want you to press into that if at all possible when that happens take a moment or 10 moments and like sing it or hum it consider the words meditate on the truth that the spirit is singing in your ear in that moment because i think when that happens it's not just an accident it's not just your mind doing things that your mind does i think the holy spirit is bringing you into worshiping in spirit and in truth and the ministry that jared and rachel have have uh, put forth is is working in your heart and working in your life and something mystical and metaphysical is trying to happen and if you can pause in that moment and worship in spirit and truth i think um good things will happen so that's something i can encourage you to do as well I would also encourage you to make opportunities for sacred time with other people. You know, as Wimber was talking about in that quote, it's what he's saying is like, look, when the Spirit's doing something, wait. Just wait and see what the Spirit's going to do. Wait till the person's ready. Spend the time it takes for whatever needs to happen to happen. You can carve out that time with other people as well, people in your house. Um, you can have sacred time there. You might have specific prayer time with members of your family. And if you've got little kids, uh, your sacred time might look like building Legos or, or playing blocks or something. It doesn't have to look like typical religious stuff. But you can set aside sacred time with the people you live with, with your neighbors. Uh, you can set aside sacred time over the phone or even over text messaging or even over Zoom. Um, you can do that in the stay-at-home groups, which they're doing weekly as well. Um, and especially if someone comes to mind randomly. If you think of someone, like someone just pops into your head, kind of like the songs. When those things pop into your head, I want you to really work on becoming attuned to thinking that that might not just be your mind randomly thinking something. That might be the Holy Spirit putting someone on your heart to pray for to think about, to reach out to. So if the Spirit puts some person randomly on your heart, you could set aside sacred time for them. Now, you don't have to tell them it's sacred time. You could just say, all right, I'm going to pray for this person for like 10 minutes, and then I'm going to reach out to them and see if I can call them. And then I'm going to talk to them on the phone. And then between you and the Holy Spirit, that can be sacred time. And you can approach it casually, like Sam approaches... Uh, like Jesus approaches Sam casually at the well and see uh, what the Lord might have for them or, and or for you in that moment. So I really think that's a helpful uh, lesson for us today. Jesus tells Sam, look, it doesn't matter that you worship on Mount Gerizim and that others worship in Jerusalem. What matters is that you worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the same is true of us. It doesn't matter that we're worshiping over Facebook or whatever it is you're watching right now, uh, as opposed to meeting at the bridge. What matters is that we worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we can do that right here and right now. And you can do that through your week because you're a priest as much as anyone is. On that note, let's take communion. Uh, gather what it is you have to eat. 
Again, I have my gluten-free donut, which I'm just going to nibble on as hard as that is. As you lift this up, we're going to say together, worship in the spirit. And as we say worship in the spirit, whatever it is you've got in your hand becomes the body of Christ. And eating it together uh, reconnects us as the body of Christ with all the saints who have ever taken communion and are taking communion all over the world today and throughout history. So, brothers and sisters, here's to worshiping in the spirit. take the cup which as we lift it together becomes the blood of Jesus and it's the blood of Jesus by which we worship in truth Jesus is the truth his life his death on the cross his resurrection his presence with us is the truth we participate in that truth we worship in that truth as we take his blood to worshiping in truth Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we can come to you in a variety of ways, in a variety of cultural contexts, in a variety of ways to connect to you. I thank you that you are always reaching out to connect with us. And that's what matters first and foremost, is that you are always trying. And we can take different means, but all we're really trying to do is get ourselves out of the way, quiet our souls, Listen to your spirit. Receive from you what you have for us. You are always giving and waiting for us to be receiving. I pray this morning, as folks are watching this, and later as they're watching and listening to this, that you would renew in us and deepen in us and help us find more creative ways to be receiving what you are giving to us. You desire worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Jesus, we desire to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to be that, Lord. I pray that you would create in us a hunger to set aside sacred time for you. I pray you would create in us a desire to set aside sacred time with which to minister to each other. Whatever format we're in, whether it's broadcasting or in person, the world is always pushing us along, pushing us from one thing to the next, pushing, 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 when what you're calling us to do is to sit, or to ask for protracted times of prayer, where we can wait out our impatience, where we can wait out the way the world would shove us away from what you have for us. Bring us into your presence, and may we abide there with you and with each other forever. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Amen. All right, sisters and brothers, I love you, and I hope that you do this. Set aside sacred time this week. Be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, 
after-school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.